The podcast of this local government meeting is brought to you by Michigan Radio. For more coverage of local government meetings and to find out how you can support this service, go to michiganradio.org. Good afternoon. I'd like to call to order the January 23rd Committee of a Whole meeting. And um, if the clerk could please call the roll. Councilmember Wood. Here. Councilmember Garza. Here. Councilmember Hussein. Here. Councilmember Spadafore. Present. Councilmember Spitzley. Councilmember Jackson. Present. Councilmember Brown. Here. Councilmember Cost. Here. Seven members present. You have a quorum. Thank you. Um, we now move to the minutes of the January 9th meeting. Vice President Garza. Thank you, Council President. I'd move the January 9th committee of the whole minutes as written. All right, those uh, minutes have been moved. Are there any questions? Seeing none, all those in favor say aye. 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 Opposed? Passes unanimously. This is an opportunity um, for public comment. If there's anyone in the audience that would like to make public comment, please come up to the podium and give us your name for the record, and you will have three minutes. Loretta Stanaway, and I'm here tonight to thank the judges and the council and the new uh, prosecuting attorney for being willing to step forward in a way that I think will benefit the city as a whole, the county actually as a whole, and to let this new prosecutor know that he has the support of the public, and I believe also with the judges and the council, and therefore I hope to see very bold and strong action on his part to return our city to a better quality of life, uh, which is achieved by putting criminals where they belong and um, not letting them loose on the public. So thank you. Thank you. Is there anyone else that would like to address the council at this time? Seeing no one. Um, first on the agenda is the in county prosecutor who is not here yet. Um, we might wait a minute or two because I think if we start the process of the internal auditor, um, then we'll be into that. So if we could have your patience for a couple of minutes, um, colleagues will will wait a couple of minutes, and then if not, if he is here, then we'll start with the um, external auditor.
Okay, uh, I think what we'll do is go ahead and get started and we'll invite the external auditor and the finance director forward. We have uh, Bill Tucker and Tyler Baker. Um, if you could please come up through the well and take a seat at the table. Um, Council members in your packet, you do have a presentation um, from um, the auditor. And <clears throat> gentlemen, if you would um, please make sure that the green light is on. Uh, press the button down there and the, for the light to come on. Okay, good, all right. And what we'll do is we'll open it up um, to you. We'll try to, unless we need some clarification, uh, wait till the end to um, ask our questions. Having um, said that, we will turn it over to the finance director and our external auditors. Okay. And she's pointing at you, so you go ahead. <laughs> go ahead and get started. Well, good evening. I'm Bill Tucker from Maynard Custerson, and with me I have Tyler Baker, um, who was the manager on the audit engagement for this year. I'd like to start by just kind of walking through the information that was handed out to you in your packets, and then we'll get into the audit presentation itself. So there are a couple documents that we've handed out to you. Let's just kind of roll through those documents. Um, we do have our, obviously, large uh, bound reports. Um, this is the audited financial statements for June 30th, 2022. Within this large document, you'll find all the necessary financial statements and no disclosures to be in accordance with generally accepted accounting principles. Also within that document, on pages 11 through 13, you would find the independent auditor's report as well. So we'll talk about that during our audit presentation for you tonight. We did also have a couple loose letters for you. Um, I'll kind of just hold those up as I kind of go through them. Uh, we did have one that really didn't have a title at the top of it. This is what we consider to be our board communication letter or governance letter. Um, a majority of that letter is boilerplate language, um, does go through and address some of the more significant estimates within the financial statements for such things as useful lives of capital assets as a significant estimate. Um, also within that document, if there was ever any disagreements with management, that would kind of be noted within that letter to you as well. Um, just to let you know there were none, but that is kind of the purpose of the letter is to have that formal communication uh, with council. <coughs> We also did have another loose letter. Uh, this is what we consider to be our internal control letter. We do have that in our audit presentation as well, so we'll kind of go through that document uh, with you tonight. So the next thing that we're gonna go over is that audit presentation. I do see that is up on the, the screens, and we'll kind of click through those uh, pages as we kind of go through them. Uh, the first page that we're gonna turn to is your Certificate of Achievement for Excellence in Financial Reporting. Uh, so the City of Lansing has uh, received in the past the Annual Comprehensive Financial Report Certificate of Achievement in Excellence in Financial Reporting. Uh, the one that is in the current year's financial statements is for June 30th, 2021. You do submit that in, in, in again this year um, with the GFOA for the Act for Certificate. Um, so that is the first thing that we have in your uh, document for you tonight. <clears throat> the next page that we have for you is that overview of the independent auditor's report. As I mentioned, the independent auditor's report is on pages 11 through 13 
of those bound financial statements. Uh, the purpose of an audit is to provide opinion as to the fair presentation of the financial statements in accordance with generally accepted accounting principles. It's not to detect fraud, and it's not to give you an opinion on your internal controls. Within the independent auditor's report, we're providing our opinion on your financial statements. We're actually giving our, our opinion on the, on the nine opinion units of the city. Those nine opinion units are the governmental activities, the business type activities, the aggregate discreetly presented component units, each major fund in which the city had five major funds in 2022. Uh, those five major funds were the general fund, the state and federal grant fund, uh, the Sierra and Mishta grant fund, the sewage disposal system fund, and the municipal parking system fund. And then the last opinion unit is the aggregate remaining fund information. We're providing unmodified or clean opinions on all nine of those opinion units, and that's the best opinion you can conceive on your financial statements is that unmodified clean opinion. That means that everything is in accordance with generally accepted accounting principles. <clears throat> From there, we'll get into a couple of the highlights uh, within the financial statements. The first pages that we're turning to is page 27 and 28 of those financial statements. This is your statement of net position. The statement of net position is a snapshot of your assets, deferred outflows or resources, liabilities, deferred inflows or resources, and net position at June 30th, 2022. The statement of net position is presented on the full accrual basis of accounting and brings all of your funds together um, as a GASB 34 uh, reporting and brings all your funds together into um, your primary government broken down between governmental activities and business type activities. And this was presented on the full accrual basis of accounting. So it includes everything, including your capital assets, your long-term debt, your net pension liability, and your net other post-employment benefits liability as well, all on one page. On the very next page, page 28, um, does reference your net pension and your net other post-employment benefits, liabilities. Um, you see those totals there uh, that are highlighted of 370, approximately 372 million for your net pension liability and 248 million for your net other post-employment benefits liabilities. We do have a couple additional pages related to both of those pension and other post-employment benefits liabilities on the next couple pages for you. And these are really just to kind of give you an idea of, of where your pension plans are funded at and your other OPEB plans are funded at as well. So the first page that we have for you, um, this is page 117, relates to your pension plan for your employee's retirement system. And if we look at the far left column um, at June 30th, 2022, for this specific plan, uh, you have a total net pension liability of $158 million, and that is currently funded at 49% funded. And you can see those trends over the last nine years um, where that has seen um, fluctuations. Um, specifically in 2021, we saw a large fluctuation for investment returns, um, where obviously the market was doing really well in 2021. And then we see kind of that decrease in 2022 with, with where the markets are going 
um, ha or have gone in 2022. So those are some of the big factors that we see within those those um, couple years. And reasons for some of those trends of where you're funded at last year at 56% down to 49 in 2022. <clears throat> Moving through your pension plans, the next page that we're turning to is page 120. Uh, this is your police and fire retirement system. Again, looking at that far left column for your pension plan, um, that pension plan is funded at 57.55% and has a net pension liability of $213 million. The next two pages uh, relate to your other post-employment benefit plans. The first one is your employee's retirement system. Again, looking at that far left column, uh, net OPEB liability of approximately $87 million, currently funded at 44%, down from last year, about 52% last year, um, so down to 44. And then again, for your police and fire retirement system on page 126, net OPEB liability of approximately $161 million um, that is currently funded about 20, just over 20%. Um, and that is down slightly from last year where it was about six or 25% in 2021. So again, a lot of those impacts on those pension and OPEB plans really kind of related to the the markets of, of what you're seeing there. You know, obviously good years in 2021 for investment returns, and then 2022, uh, the returns were not as good. All right, from there, I'm gonna turn it over to Tyler to kind of go through the rest of the slides with you, um, and I'll run the slideshow, Tyler. Sounds good. Uh, so the next page we have is page one, uh, 113. Um, and this is the budget to actual page for the general fund. Um, and again, as the front schedules that Bill discussed were on the full accrual, this is on the modified accrual basis of accounting. And so um, capital asset purchases or any debt purchases would be shown as expenses on this fund rather than on, on the balance sheet. Um, and a couple items here that we have highlighted, you'll see the actual column, which is that third column. And then the far right is the variance between the final budget and the actual amounts. Positive balances um, are good. Um, those are under budget um, for expenditures, and then negative would be over expenditures on a specific line item. What you see there, we have total revenues highlighted. Um, actual total revenues for the general fund was at $146 million, which was just under $3.6 million over budget, which is a positive, and this is mainly due to um, intergovernmental revenues, state, federal grants. If you slide to the next page, 114, you'll see in the middle of the line there of total expenditures. This is the comparison, again, between final budget and actual in regards to total expenditures for the general fund with a final amended budget of $147.3 million. Uh, with actual expenditures um, of just over $146 million. This is a positive variance of $982,000 or um, under a 1% variance, which is, which is very good for the size of entity that you guys are at. 
You'll see towards the bottom of the page the net change in fund balance. Um, that third column, you'll see that the general fund decreased their fund balance by $6.3 million, um, but was a positive variance compared to what was anticipated with the final budget, uh, which was a decrease anticipated of $11.2 million. With that decrease, uh, fund balance in total decreased from $29.7 million to $23.4 million, or approximately 16% of total budgeted expenditures. Um, state uh, guidelines say a minimum of approximately 15 to 20% uh, fund balance for the general fund, which you guys being at 16 is right um, in that minimum um, kind of threshold. The next uh, three pages are in graph form of uh, five-year trends. In this first bar graph is the general fund uh, for the last five years uh, in total revenues, expenditures, and then fund balance. So you can see um, that drop in fund balance from 2021 to 2022 uh, is, that, is that yellow um, bar. And the main driver of that, as you can see, were a decrease of expenditures in 2021 as activities opened up as expenditures um, kind of incurred in 2022 that then jumped up causing that fund balance to then rise or the expenditures to rise above the revenue causing that fund balance to decrease. But a good kind of visual representation of the total revenues, total expenditures for a five-year trend. The next page is the current um, allocation of where the total revenues and other financing sources come from in regards to the general fund with the two largest being property taxes, which make up approximately 32%, which is that dark blue in the top right, um, and then income taxes, which is the bottom right red quadrant at approximately 25%. And with the prior year, all of these percentage are within 1% um, of the prior year allocation as well. The next page, you'll see the uh, same type of representation, but in regards to total expenditures and other financing uses. That bottom right uh, quadrant is the public safety, making up the vast majority of the expenditures of 59% in the current year. Uh, prior year, that was 61%, um, but still very consistent um, overall with all of the different categories. That top right quadrant, being general government, uh, was the uh, second largest um, expenditure uh, category in regards to the general fund. This next page, what we have highlighted um, in that top paragraph uh, where it says current year defeasance of debt, this is to point out the current refunding in the current year, or the refunding that occurred in the current year. Um, that highlighted number, the second line from the bottom, uh, states that the city decreased its total debt service requirements over the life of the, of the bonds by 469000 um, which is a positive with a uh, net economic gain of 326000 as well. So because of that refunding, in total decreased the required debt, principal, and interest payments uh, by just under 470000 The next page, we just wanted to point out a subsequent event. Um, so subsequent to 6.30 of 22, but prior to the report date, there were two draws on the state clean uh, water revolving fund loan 
um, one in July, one in August, uh, 4.5 million, and then 3.5 million dollars on that loan. As Bill referenced earlier, these uh, next few pages are our internal auditor's report on over financial reporting and compliance. Um, and so what we have here are uh, the findings that we have for the current year. Um, a few notes uh, before we uh, go through them a little bit is that in the prior year, if you remember, there were seven uh, findings that we had um, for this letter. In the current year, there are three. Um, and so that's a decrease of four that came off based on um, current year improvements, um, which is a positive thing, I think, for the board um, to hear. And so as we go through, if you have any questions, let me know. Um, but page two starts the, uh, starts the findings. 2022-001 um, uh, material journal entries. I'm just going to read a little bit from the condition, which is basically why the, why the finding occurred. I'm not going to read all of this. Um, but basically, various financial statement amounts within the city's accounting records were recorded after year-end, some of which were proposed by the auditors. In addition, there were several revisions to the city's trial balance, with the final version coming early in December of 2022, each of which containing material corrections to the previous trial balance. The city has made improvements this year in recording material journal entries, but there were still several adjustments proposed subsequent to the commencement of audit field work, and then referenced that this was a, a continuation of a finding from the previous year. At the bottom, you'll see the next finding, 2022-002 payroll process. Um, this also is a continuation from the a prior year finding, but as it states, the city, or, the city has procedures in place to ensure that employees are being paid at the correct rate and for actual hours of um, of hours worked, but much of the data entry for this process continues to be manual and payroll can be submitted and paid before applicable department management reviews and approves their departmental staff payroll data. While no inappropriate transactions were noted during our testing of the payroll process, this is a systemic issue and a, and a similar issue was noted in the prior year. The next page you'll see the third and final uh, finding that we had, and this is um, a compliance finding, um, as we talked about the budget to actual, um, and is also noted on page 129 of the ACFR. Um, there were excess appropriations in regards to the final budget compared to actual expenditures, um, and that is basically what the condition state is that we noted that expenditures had exceeded the amounts of appropriated for various areas of the general fund and certain special revenue funds. Um, and so this is where we documented that compliance finding um, for the current year. As noted, those are the three findings uh, and compared to seven in the prior year that the material journal entries was a material weakness. The second um, finding in regards to the payroll was a significant deficiency and then that third finding with budget to actual was a state compliance finding. All right, uh, we'll open it up for questions, but before I take from um, the council members, I do have a couple questions uh, for Ms. Kirkland. Um, in looking at our budget amendment that was passed on 6-27-2022, the, 
the um, budget amendment does not um, comport with the 2022 CAFR final, final amended budget. Can you explain why? Uh, yes, let me first say thank you for having us here and thank you for Maynard for doing the presentation. Uh, truly an oversight on our behalf in the finance department. We're working very hard to make sure we stay on top of all of these things with our turnovers and things of that nature, but uh, we will assure you that this will be something that we are working on and we will not have this finding moving forward. We will be on top of it. But how does that then reflect in the audit that was done? Because if I'm given a figure and I'm using the attorney's office as an example, I'm given a figure of $3,964,001, but yet the amended budget and what was approved was $2,450,461. Even though it shows that they didn't spend all of that, it's an error. It is not what their budget was. Absolutely, and that's why we had the audit finding. It was an oversight truly in the finance department. We take full responsibility, and it is something that we are, a uh, system that we're putting in place to watch the budget, monitor the budget numbers very closely for every department, make sure that the numbers are in agreement to what you all approved. It was an oversight on our part, and we're working to make those corrections. And then looking at the uniform um, budgeting manual, one of the um, things that is um, explicit in here is that the Budget Act requires budget amendments before, and that before is bold and underlined, any um, expenditures in excess of the budget are made. That didn't happen either. You're absolutely correct. And again, we are working, just as we work to go from seven findings down to three, this is an area of focus for our team, and we but are working- this is the second time this finding. It's a violation of the Uniform Budgeting Act. You're absolutely right. And we are working to make the corrections. And I applaud my team, the finance department. We went from seven, we went from eight to seven down to three. And this is an area that we're working very hard on. We've talked about it in cabinet. We've talked about it with the staff. We have people that are gonna be monitoring, the accountants that are gonna be monitoring the budget all along to make sure this will not happen again. I won't sit here next year having this same finding. That's the goal. Uh, so I, I assure you it is something that we are totally aware of and we are on top of it. Okay, we'll open it up for questions and then I have others. Um, um, as we move forward, are there council members that have questions? Councilmember Jackson. Thank you, Madam President. Um, so, just trying to understand the significance of a few things. When our pension, po the police, and the OPEP is funded at, for example, you said 49% and 56%, can you explain the significance of like that number in our short term and long term? So yeah, um, I think one of the things that as we kind of look at those numbers or percentages, especially for the city, 
Um, I know the state of Michigan has been working to get communities up to um, certain funded percentages. I think 60% is their goal for their pension systems. Um, there actually is grant funding that's coming out from the state of Michigan that potentially could help out the city of being able to get their um, percentages up to at least the minimum of 60%. Um, obviously, like you were talking about, you know, what is kind of the long-term effects of being at that lower percentage. Um, obviously, those investment rates of return, you know, as you kind of obviously get up to those higher amounts and you're able to have it more funded as you're turning around more investment returns on those. Um, and then obviously, you know, continue to put those dollars aside for those pension systems as you kind of go through that. But I think looking at that for the city um, in the current year, any of those um, <clears throat> grants from the state of Michigan um, would be something that could be beneficial. Thank you. Um, I kind of understand that. It sounds like we're supposed to be higher. I mean, yeah, I think yeah, the minimum that they want um, for pension plans to be at 60% and OPEP plans to be at 40%. And then another question, I think this may go to Ms. Kirkland. I noticed that our income taxes and our property taxes were over projected from the original budget. Is that because of ARPA or, or something else? Because I know we were thinking that it was going to be like we were the, the The income taxes probably deal a lot with the collection or enforcement that our team in Treasury has done. With the state tapes, we went back several years to collect any uh, funds that had not been received. So we have a lot of enforcement going on there. Property taxes, we're always conservative in our rate. And so um, if the state says it's going to be 5 or 6%, we try to be very conservative in those numbers. And so that's what I would attribute those to. Mm -hmm. Are you done, Councilmember Jackson? Other questions? Other questions? Councilmember um, Brown. Thank you, Councilwoman President. Um, this is for um, Ms. Desiree. Uh, with the expenditure that Councilwoman Wood was talking about exceeding, um, and you were working on it as far as the findings from eight to seven and now three, and uh, as far as the finance department, um, my question would be, um, and I've had constituents ask, what is the priority or the first priority of the department if it's not the budget? <laughs> uh, first priority would make sure that we have good accounting systems in place, internal controls, checks and balances in place, and uh, those are priority, making sure our general ledger system, that the information in the system is accurate, those are, that's a priority for us. Uh, one of the things that we're doing, and I think you all are aware of, that we're switching from one general ledger system to another one, which is going to help a whole lot. Our system is outdated. Uh, some of the things that we would like to see in reporting is not available because of the current system that we're utilizing and moving to something that is more easy and um, provides the reports that we need and the accuracy is what our goal is. So. A good general ledger system is definitely our gold in checks and balances. Thank you so much. And then I have a question um, posed by Councilwoman uh, Spisley asked me to ask the question in her absence. Uh, her question is to the city attorney. We have submitted a document to the state of Michigan that has an accounting error of approximately 3.5 million. We have been told by the finance director that no amendment to the document is needed. 
are there any legal ramifications to have an official document that we know is incorrect submitted to the state? Do we have to certify that the document is accurate? So that's the first time I've seen that question. And I think the question needs to be directed, number one, to the finance director. If there have been conversations with the state regarding that issue, first of all, is that statement correct? The document, the, the audit report reflects what was in our general ledger. Unfortunately, there were things that we did not update as far as budget to action, budget to what was amended. But the audit report reflects actually what was in our general ledger at the time. So our document that is submitted to the state is not inaccurate. It's a reflection of what. Okay, did, did the state tell you that? Is that yeah, the state, what, all they asked is for a corrective action plan. What do we plan to do moving forward? And we have that document. Yes, we do, and I provided that to council. Mr. Also. Tucker, do you agree with that conclusion? Um, yeah, I do. I think, you know, again, those, you know, getting the information from the finance director department obviously is, you know, prevalent to the, how, we're, how we're doing our audits. Um, so having that information that's in the general ledger, and that's what we're using to, to make that documentation as what is approved for the budget. I mean, when you first look at Council Member Spitzley's question, you know, just a general answer is if you submitted a document that is an error, you should correct it. But if the state is telling you, and we have it documented, that there is no need for a correction, then we need to see that. What the state has asked us for is when our audit report has been submitted to them, they ask for what is our corrective action plans to addressing the audit finding. And we will submit what our statement is as what I shared with you all is that this will become a priority for us that we will be monitoring the budget on a regular basis and making sure that it reflects what has been approved by this body. Yeah, but to be responsive to the council members' questions, we've got to have this documented somewhere in writing for Yes. These are financial matters. Okay, are there other questions from the body? Um, I have a few that um, I'd like to um, talk about. First of all, um, Ms. Kirkland, are you aware of the um, audit that was done by our internal auditor on the human resource payroll process and procedures? Um, that was done. The initial um, meeting with management was on August 23rd, uh, 2021. The preliminary draft was um, sent to the department on, on November 5th, 2021. Additional feedback was received from the department on um, 12, uh, December 10th, 2021. And upon review of the feedback, um, and the um, human resource management. The final report uh, was sent to council on December 15, 2021 with recommendations for a corrective action plan. Are you aware of that report? I have seen that report, yes. And are you implementing um, or has um, human resources implemented any of the recommendations that came from the internal auditor? I believe they have implemented what they could. I don't, I can't speak totally as to if they've done everything on that report. Could you follow uh, I, up on that and get back um, to us on that? I'd be happy to. Then um, my next question was in uh, 21, 
2021, the city had um, 119 million in the general fund expenditures, and in 2022, the city had 146 million in general fund expenditures. What do you attribute the additional 22, 27 million expenditures to? That's a good question. I would have to get back with you on that. I, I don't know that off the top of my head. What okay. the is related to. Um, you mentioned in the quarterly budget report that we received uh, that we were adding to the fund balance. It looks like it decreased by six million on page 34 in the um, budget in the internal auditors or external auditors report. I, again, I don't have that information right offhand, but I'd be happy to provide it for you. Um, how has the uh, audit impacted the current 2023 budget projections? And uh, will we take $6 million more from the fund balance this year? We're looking at the uh, long-term projections. Uh, we have not totally analyzed that data as to where we are and where we're going. As you know, we have projected some deficiencies, uh, but I'm not ready at this time to speak to that, but we are continuing to study those numbers and to look down the road as to where we will be. Um, is there a plan for the $7.6 million in the fringe uh, fund balance um, that um, are you expecting it to use it for unexpected costs for premium for pensions or OPED? I'm not sure what you're asking me. I'm sorry. There is a fund balance mm -hmm. on page 162 in the um, in the audit of 7.6 million in the fringe ben benefits. Okay. How um, are you expecting to use that? May I may I get back with you on that also? Um, is there a plan for the 5.6 million unrestricted reserves in the fleet? That I'm not prepared to answer either. Sorry about that. Why is the library rental uh, line um, so far off? It was off by $126,000. Maybe the auditors can help out with that. I don't know the answer to that. Are you referencing um, the in the general fund? You're referencing that on page um, 113. It has to do with the library fund, and I'm not sure you were only given figures, so I'm not sure yep. the library rental yes. dollar amount, the the budgeted amount. Yes. Yep. I know we do have a little bit of information on that. If Tyler, if you want to take that. Yep. So. Um, the budgeted and the actual amounts are based on the chart of accounts provided, and so these are grouped based on uh, departments. And so there is a line item within the, within the number that's under library rental department um, that's estimated attrition, which is a, uh, a, uh, a debit or a, a credit balance of the uh, budgeted amount, which is kicking that to a, a negative um, budgeted amount, but that's basically due to it not necessarily be allocating appropriate all the way to the departments and it just being one specific line item, but due to our requirements for groupings in regards to state requirements for the chart of accounts, it's grouped accordingly to the account number, which is within that um, subgroup. 
Okay. Uh, is the city on track for having the required uniform chart of accounts implemented um, by June 30th, 2023? Uh, it's, it's interesting you would ask that question. We had that conversation earlier. We are working towards it. Uh, it will definitely require a conversation with the state of Michigan uh, with us implementing a new general ledger system, uh, which is going to be 18 months to two years. We can convert now or we can see if they will allow us to give us additional time. So that's a question that we are talking to Treasury about right now. So we were made aware that we had to do this back in. This has been on. This has been ongoing with a lot of municipalities for years. Uh, this is nothing. Yeah, we have been made aware of it. Our current general ledger system. We can spend the funds to do it right now and change one solution over, and then we'll turn around and spend more money when we do when we switch over to BSNA. We're looking at both of them weighing out what makes sense to the city. Of course, we don't want to spend money to do it right now to a system that is antiquated and then turn around and have to do it again. But we're going to do what's best for the city, uh, looking at our budget and looking at the impact it may have on us. If, we re if we're required to do it, we will definitely do it. If the state gives us additional time, then we'll see from there. But. Uh, we are looking very closely at that, knowing that we're coming up against a deadline. Okay. Uh, what has happened with the American Rescue Act um, interest? I'm assuming that we have invested those dollars, so where is the interest being the interest, shown? Yes, the, the interest is, I'm sorry, I'm to cut you off, I apologize. Go ahead. Uh, the interest is still sitting in, we separate those pots of money so the, the money is sitting in a couple of different institutions, banking institution, and the interest that is being earned has not been moved to the general fund, uh, but we, we can move that money anytime, but it would be made available to the city. And what is the amount of the interest that we have currently? I would be happy to provide that. I don't know off the top of my head. Um, what is the plan for the parking system? Um, when we look at the fact that we're in a deficit uh, with that, we continue to, um, which, you know, it's not that I'm against having um, parking holidays and, and Fridays and things like that, but um, the system is not paying for itself as it was intended. Uh, I didn't, I don't have a plan or a comment on that at this point. I mean, it's something, something that we could get back to you on. Okay, uh, we have a number of unanswered questions, and what I'd like to see is on uh, February 27th that you come before us with answers to those questions. Sure, be happy to do that. Uh, yes, Councilmember Garza. Thank you, Council President. Good evening, thanks for being here tonight. Thank you. Um, when we talk about the, the three findings, the third finding, the unfavorable budgeted variances, can you speak specific to which Departments went over budget, the budgeted amount. Are you able to speak on that? I think the auditors and, and what would their be. Correction, corrective okay. action would be. Yes, I can uh, speak to which, um, specifically which departments. I'll point you, there is a, um, 
a footnote that I will point you towards. So it's page 129 of the act for, um, not that you need to go to it right now, um, but I can then list off. Um, so within the general um, government, um, it's city clerk, library, rental, and mayor, uh, public safety, fire, recreation, and culture, debt service, um, those are within the, within the general fund specific. Was that all your questions, Councilmember Brown? Thank you, Council President. Uh, I've had um, so. My question would be: We receive a lot of uh, to you, um, uh, Ms. Desiree. We receive a lot of federal and different funds for, um, as I guess, grants for services and things uh, like that in the, in the city from like Michigan HUD. Does the audit cover the compliance measures that we have to take to the federal and state level um, when we're receiving those to, along with what's, what we're seeing here? That is covered under the single audit that is done, that is being done right now, so it's not reflected in this audit report. That's a separate audit. Okay. Uh, when, is, when will that become available? Um, <clears throat> excuse me, that's due uh, to the federal clearinghouse on 331 based on your year end. It's nine months after um, your fiscal year end, and so that's due 331. So we're in the process with finance right now of working um, through those items and will be submitted prior to that uh, required uh, submitted to the federal clearinghouse. Okay, thank you. And so we'll receive a copy of that prior to that date? Yes. Thank you so much. Okay, uh, we have a series of questions that um, we will have, um, and the auditors don't need to come back for that, but if Ms. Kirkland, um, at our Committee of a Whole on the 27th, um, we'll make sure that um, Sherry sends those um, out to you in an email, and then we'll expect your presentation um, here at Committee of a Whole um, to those questions. Okay. All right. Uh, with that, we want to thank you for um, coming down, for answering our questions, and uh, we will move on in our agenda. Unfortunately, I, um, we still don't have, pardon? Oh, okay. Terrific. Wonderful. We'll cha change um, chairs here. Thank you. Mr. Prosecutor, John, thank you for being here today. Um, if you would make sure that the green light is on, on, on there, you'd be good to go. Uh, what we'd like you to do is spend a little bit of time um, talking to us about yourself and your vision um, for the prosecutor's office, and then we will open it up 
um, to council members for questions. Thank so you. with that. Well, first and foremost, I need to apologize to all the council members for being late. Um, my office is in a little bit of a transition period, and so my admin, my temporary admin, scheduled me for 5.30 and not 5. So my sincere apologies to all of you. That's, that's all right. Uh, a little bit of background and introduction. Again, my name is John Dwayne. I'm the prosecuting attorney for Ingham County. I was appointed uh, back in late December. Uh, I grew up in St. Joseph, Michigan. I'm Mich sorry, can you double check and make sure the green light's on? Sorry. Right here? Yeah, you just might have to pull it closer. Sorry. Better? There we yes. go, yes. All right. So I grew up in uh, St. Joseph, uh, Michigan, attended St. Joseph High School, graduated in 1988. I attended the University of South Carolina in Columbia, graduated in 1992 with a BA uh, in English. I attended Thomas Cooley Law School from 1995 to 1998. After uh, obtaining my um, law degree and passing the bar, I worked for one year in legal aid uh, down in southwestern Michigan. And then I went into private practice with my father's law firm in St. Joe for approximately two years. In 2001, I was hired as an assistant prosecuting attorney. Uh, from that early inception, I worked in the family court division, uh, the district court division, the circuit court division, the crimes against children's division, and then I became a unit chief of district court, circuit court. And in 2012, I was appointed by Stuart Dunnings as the deputy chief. And I've served in that capacity for 10 years under three prior administrations, that being Mr. Dunnings, Governor Whitmer, and Prosecutor Carol Seaman. As far as my community involvement, I was an adjunct professor at Cooley, uh, teaching trial skills for approximately six years. Uh, I was on the board and the secretary of the Ingham County Sobriety Court Foundation for approximately five years. I served on the Big Brothers Big Sisters board for approximately five years. I coached youth football in Williamston for six years. I've been married for 20 years. My wife's a health care attorney, and I have two children, uh, boys. One attends the University of Michigan as a freshman, and the other is a sophomore at Michigan State University. Makes fun. <laughs> okay. With uh, having that said, um, are there questions uh, for the prosecutor at this time? I can cover some of the policies as well that you were okay. referring to. Okay, why don't you do that and then we'll take, take your questions. Sure. Um, first day of my office, um, my number one priority was to reduce gun violence in our community and in this county. It's at an unacceptable level at this time. Uh, and my office is committed to protecting the Ingham County residents from the upsurge in our gun violence. Uh, several of the policies I in, uh, implemented uh, were to habitualize repeat offenders. Uh, so I am going to consider a person's prior felony conduct and their criminal history. I believe that's relevant to future conduct. I believe that repeat offenders have been given chances to reform and for some reason they have chosen not to. Uh, we are going to start charging individuals with what's called felony firearm. If you use or possess a firearm in the commission of a felony, uh, that's a two-year mandatory prison term. I believe the use of a firearm in the commission of a, a, a crime a felony uh, is extremely dangerous and potentially life-threatening. We're also going to continue to charge felons, convicted felons who possess or use uh, firearms. And last, uh, I'm going to take a hard line stance on people that carry illegal guns either on their person or in their cars, automobiles, 
Um, the last three years in our county, we've seen over a thousand cases of CCW that's carrying a concealed weapon. I would say mostly of that con uh, occurs in a, in a motor vehicle. And it's my position that we need well, responsible gun owners, people that purchase their guns legally, register the guns, take their CPL classes, obtain their license. There's a criminal background check that's involved in that. Um, and I'm not opposed to people that um, carry concealed weapons legally. I'm concerned of the people that are carrying illegal guns uh, that are not supposed to be carrying those. Um, these policies are not unique. They're not unusual. Uh, I believe probably 98% of the county prosecutors follow these types of policies. Any questions? Okay, we'll open it up for questions. And I think uh, Councilmember Jackson had his hand up, and then Councilmember um, Hussein. Thank you. Um, from that last position, um, you mentioned CCW taking a stance in vehicles. Do you take into account all the people who are completely ignorant of the law as far as they buy a gun, they say, I got it registered in my name, here's my paperwork, and then they have it not in a locked box in the trunk away from all occupants, et cetera, et cetera. And also, um, when you talk about fire, felony firearm, would you charge, can you charge felony firearm on a CCW, for example, because you committed the crime of CCW carrying illegally with a firearm opposed to like with a knife or something? Yeah, with regard to the second question, you cannot charge a person with felony firearm for carrying a concealed weapon. Uh, by law, you cannot do that. With regard to your first question, as a prosecutor, we have discretion. And when we look at people that are doing the right things, they have their gun in their car, it's unloaded, they may be separate from, their, from where they can access it, we take that um, as not as seriously as the other crimes we're looking at. Um, so we have discretion when charging that and um, whether we charge or not. If somebody's doing all the right things, they just didn't get their CPL, I'll take that in consideration. What I'm concerned about as the prosecutor is repeat gun offenders carrying illegal guns in their car, uh, guns with multiple round clips, so a nine millimeter with a 50 round clip, uh, guns that are stolen, guns that have their light or serial number taken off, repeat offenders who have been arrested, uh, been arraigned, are out on bond, and they go get another gun. Um, and another question. Since it's a big push for taking guns off the street, illegal guns, and I see it from everywhere, um, at what point do you consider whether or not the gun was obtained from maybe an illegal search or an illegal anything that's in violation of Fourth Amendment and your assistant prosecutor who reviews the warrant and the police report, they see it. Do you still charge it and just see what happens or? or? No, council member. If there's an illegal search, we're not gonna charge that. I have a duty to look at whether or not evidence of the crime uh, was taken legally. So if there was a violation of the Fourth Amendment, we will not charge that. And you know, because ultimately a judge decides if it was a violation, because there's a lot of in-betweeners. Right. So is there going to be anything where, um, I mean, because frankly, you know, in my job, I still see a lot of cases where evidence at least appears or 
arguably is. So at what point does the, you know, do sure. you decide that? Sure. So if there's a, a question, we will meet as prosecutors and decide whether or not to issue it. Yeah. If we feel there's a good faith base based on probable cause, we'll issue the case. And as you know, as an attorney, uh, that could be argued later in front of a judge and a decision will be made at that time as far as the legality of it. And one more thing. So are you using discretion when you charge the felony firearm or are you um, like automatically charging it? it? We can, well, we always use our discretion. Um, so for example, if we have a person in a house and there's a uh, Nighthawk patrol check or a parole, excuse me, check, that person has a gun that's separate from, you know, under his bed or he's not even in the same bedroom, we'll look at that as whether or not we should even charge felony firearm. So there is discretion used in common sense. Thank you. Uh, we have Councilmember Hussein and Councilmember Garza. Yeah, so just a couple things. Um, I, I kind of took an inventory of the, the different policies uh, that prosecutors seem to put in place, and so I was curious what would and what would not remain in place uh, during your tenure. Um, as an example, there was a, a officer involved shooting policy uh, where all those uh, cases would be referred to the attorney general. Is that still in place? That is still in place. Okay, fantastic. Um, there was also a restricting and obstructing policy that was put in place uh, that you would not uh, prosecute um, or you know obstructing charges, resisting obstructing charges without, um, I think it was uh, police camera video footage. Is that still in place? That, so that policy still is in place. I'm going to review it um, to see whether it needs to be redrafted and um, an amended policy adopted. Uh, we do still review body cam videos with regard to resisting obstructing cases, but there are certain um, police agencies that don't have body cams. I, I believe Leslie and Stockbridge may not have them, so. Okay, thank you. Um, also, in the, I don't know if this is policy approach, uh, but there was this kind of second chance policy or approach that Carol Seaman implemented um, that those that um, were charged even with the most heinous crimes uh, were able to uh, plead out um, and, and have an opportunity at, at parole and things of that nature. Is that the approach of your office now? I take violent crime very seriously. Uh, for 10 years, I prosecuted murder cases. I've seen what murder can do to a family. So I take those cases very seriously, but we also use our discretion. So when you ask about second chances, of course, I look at second chances. Um, I look at uh, specialty courts for second chances. We have a diversion program, but when it comes to violent crime, I'm very serious about that. Okay. Um, and then I, I think you answered this um, with regard to, you know, when we were talking about firearms, um, but there, there was a policy put in place by Prosecutor Seaman um, where she would not prosecute crimes that resulted from traffic stops that were not public safety related traffic stops. Um, what, do you, what are you all doing with that? I agree with, with some of that policy. There's a second version or a second part of that policy that indicates that if the person gave consent and there was contraband located, that we would not prosecute those type of cases. That has to be reviewed. Okay. All right. Thank you. That takes us to Vice President Garza. Thank you, Council President. And just for clarity, because I think Adam uh, asked a question that I that I was getting ready to ask. So, um, our previous pro thank you for being here uh, first and foremost. Thank foremost. you. But uh, uh, our previous prosecutor, Carol Seaman, I believe she put this in place uh, like secondhand um, felony firearms. So, and I believe this is where Adam was going with it is if somebody was to get pulled over and they were charged with drugs, and then in the process of searching their vehicle, they found 
you know, an AK-47, you know, or an illegal firearm. Um, it was my understanding that Carol Seaman wasn't going to charge for that that gun felony firearm session. Um, what is your stance on that? Well, there was several different variables that were in that policy, and so again, I'm going to review that with my with my chief assistant and my deputy chief. Um, again, I, I disagree with some of that policy. I agree that uh, law enforcement should not do pretextual stops. Okay, I'm on board with that. Again, it comes down to the matter of whether or not the person gives consent to search the vehicle and what contraband was located. Again, I'm very um, strong-headed and supportive of reducing gun violence and taking guns off the streets. Thank you. Are there other questions? Uh, with that, I do have a, a couple of questions. Um, and, and I heard your um, presentation a few minutes ago, and I think uh, one of the things I'm extremely concerned about um, and that is as a victim of crime um, and understanding what it does uh, to the family. Um, what is your stance um, with violent crime and how you deal with um, the victims of those crimes to make sure that their issues are heard and dealt with um, during the judicial system? So our office has a crime victims advocacy group inside of the office. We have three people that work with victims. Uh, they provide the crime victim rights notification. Um, they provide them to be able to sign on to Vine, which gives them notifications of when an inmate is either released or put on bond or their movement. Uh, they provide them the documentation to get uh, restitution. They provide uh, referrals for therapy. So we have a, in place a very dedicated victim witness coordination unit. But what I saw um, from the past administration was decisions being made um, about prosecution without consulting um, the victims of the crimes and allowing them to know what was moving through the system. Um, as you are well aware of, you went to work. There were protests outside the courtroom, uh, courthouse, um, from victims of, of crime, and and so I'm trying to get an an idea of where you are sure. on on that. By law, we have an obligation and a duty to uh, discuss with the victim possible plea negotiations. Um, I have put out a directive to my assistant prosecutors that every on every life offense case that I'll be consulted before any plea is made and on every homicide that I will personally meet with the victim's family before, before the first pretrial in circuit court. Um, so we will discuss with the victims the pros and cons and the strengths of the case. We'll listen to what they want to do and how they want to resolve the case. Ultimately, it's our decision. But as I've indicated, and I think I can't make this more clear, is I take violent crime very seriously. So um, I will typically defer on violent crimes to what the victim wants to see happen. Um, I, I think the um, last thing that I'd like to talk about, and that um, has to do with, um, again, um, as we're seeing some cases um, where you have 
um, the uh, prison system looking at early outs for violent offenders and things like that. Has your office thought about um, whether they're going to intercede with some of those or especially on ones that have had a huge impact in, in our community? So I think you're asking about parole reviews when somebody's eligible for parole? Well, yes, yes, and, and the fact that there have been some cases that um, because of overcrowding and different things like that, that they've um, decided to reduce the sentences. And um, um, so, with regard to parole reviews, I'm I'm contacted, and have a right to give my opinion on whether or not a person should be paroled. So I look at those cases individually, look at the conduct, consult with the victim, and make a recommendation. It's not to say my recommendation carries the weight of the day or not. Right. Um, so. To answer that question um, as far as uh, early release I don't believe there is such a thing we have truth in sentencing in Michigan so if you receive 20 years on the minimum you have to serve the first 20 years before you're eligible for parole I do think uh, there is going to be at some point in the near future I don't know when but some type of sentence reform uh, there's gonna be some bail reform I believe that's gonna come in the near future just looking at the horizon and I said that was my last question, but <laughs> this is my last question. Um, <clears throat> working from a, a community um, background, oftentimes crimes that are, are committed out there don't just affect the victims, but affect the neighborhood. Um, over the years, we have had um, judges that have agreed, as well as uh, other prosecutors that have agreed to have impact statements uh, at the time of sentencing um, from neighborhoods um, to explain how this has impacted them as well uh, while a judge is looking at sentencing. Is that something that you're amenable to? Yes. Yeah. That was easy. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just want to point out that I can't do this alone to reduce gun violence in our community. It takes everyone. It takes community leaders like yourself. It takes law enforcement. It takes other groups such as Advance Peace. Um, we need to be collaborative on this effort. Uh, it needs to happen, and I'm very serious about it. Okay. Anything else in the body? Seeing nothing, uh, we want to thank you so much for coming down here and answering our questions and giving us a glimpse into um, how you will be running your office. And I'm sure that if there are issues that come up, we'll be glad to give you a call. I know um, that on previous occasions, uh, the Public Safety Committee, as well as uh, Council um, asking um, the former prosecutor to come, which declined to come before us, I appreciate the fact that you're here immediately um, and wanting to work co uh, with us collaboratively. So. Thank you very much. I'll appear whenever you need me to, to answer your questions, and I won't be late next time. All right, thank you. So um, with that, I don't, yes, uh, council member. Since we have a little bit of time. Um, yes, I have we a, do. I have a few questions for um, Ms. DeSessa, and I told her I'd be asking these questions. So um, the first is that back on January 9th, we had our ARPA coordinator in, uh, Daphne Whitfield, and one of the things she told us 
uh, was that she was um, engaging applicants. I, I believe there were 40 applicants that were not successful in terms of applying for the ARPA funding. And she had said that at that time uh, she had actually personally engaged eight, but that she was actually going to reach uh, out and, and talk to all 32 that remained, I'm sorry, uh, and give them some measure of tailored feedback. She also talked about potentially helping them to identify state and federal funding um, so that these, these programs that absolutely add value to our community that they could potentially be funded. Do you know where she's at with that? Not, not I can't, if you're asking for a specific number, I don't have anything like that. But I can tell you that she is currently working on all of that right now as we speak. Um, one of her biggest priorities, obviously, is to work with those that did receive some dollars. And so she's working with them to make sure that uh, they, um, they complete their contract correctly and that they meet all the, um, the paperwork that perhaps maybe some of them uh, are still in need of uh, submitting, so she's working on that. That's uh, her first priority. But uh, City Council, I guess the best uh, the best response to that is if you have anyone that uh, that we didn't we were unable we were unable to fund, please ask them to uh, to call Daphne. I will I will be happy to uh, give you her number so that you can call her directly and she can answer them. But please know that she is working with uh, with them right now, and that is the status of that. So it's going to be an ongoing thing. Uh, I know that she has met with uh, other uh, individuals as well. And again, if there's anything or anyone specific that has a question, please uh, don't hesitate to reach out to her directly, and I'll provide you with her number. Okay, and then this might be a question for leadership. Um, at the January 9th meeting, uh, President Wood, you asked for respective notes and scores and outcomes. Um, did you receive those? No, as a matter of fact, what I was going to announce um, after you were done is I'm going back to a procedure that we had when I was president before, and that will be on every um, Committee of a Whole agenda um, where we have asked questions and have not received the information. Those questions will be listed in the date that we ask for those, and those will be brought up at every Committee of a Whole until we get the answers that we're looking for. So that was uh, one of them, and that's a new process that we, we had done that before and trying to keep track of where the information was and uh, when it was requested. Very good, and uh, I, you should be getting that information shortly. Uh, again, just uh, unfortunately I've been uh, working on some other stuff, and I know this is priority for forgive me please, but you will be getting that information shortly. Okay. Okay, and so I also had a number of questions that dealt with public mm -hmm. services in our presentation, but what I'll do is I'll hold off um, since it sounds like we're going to start to list those. Um, the only other one is that I've talked to probably seven applicants that uh, were not successful. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the questions I think I received from three or four of those applications, or I'm sorry, applicants, uh, was that, you know, they wanted to see the rubric, I shared the rubric, um, but one of the things, and I think it was a good point, um, was I guess one of the criticisms was why was that rubric not done uh, before uh, folks were actually submitting those applications? Um, and because they, a lot of folks said that they felt it was unfair, that that was essentially been applied when they had no idea what was in that rubric. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yes, um, you know, the, 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 the matrix or the rubric, as you say, um, was, was an afterthought. We were not really going to, we were not looking to put that originally. We were just simply, and I had put together an evaluation sheet of a, a, that we could all take a look at. So when we met with the city council, um, I believe it was recommended, so we started doing that. So, but please know that uh, I did, as I put together the, the matrix, I made sure that much of the information that, or the questions that were in there were also questions that related to the application. 
So I, I did send the, uh, the uh, matrix or the rubric to each of the city council, so you, you, you know what's in there, you have that. Um, but again, uh, it was not prepared ahead of time. But regardless, they stayed in line with uh, the questions that had been asked in the application. Okay, thank you. Mm -hmm. uh, Councilmember Brown. Thank you. Uh, in that same vein, uh, there was questions asked. I think um, Ms. Daphne indicated that she was calling and asking follow-up questions uh, to organizations. Uh, were those documented um, to ensure that there was consistency? For example, if one agency was approved because she followed up and asked you know, questions to get the information that they needed or documentation where another agency was not approved because maybe they were missing a document or didn't answer those questions to make sure that the overall was consistent and documented. Councilman, let me let me just clarify um, my response to that question. So when we received, or when when uh, Daphne received the applications, she wanted to make sure that everyone had submitted as complete a report as possible, and that all the questions were answered. So she took it upon herself to call these individuals and say, well, you know, we still need this report. We need that. And, uh, you know, and it was up to them to provide. Um, we did our best to, to be fair to everybody. And uh, again, this is just something that she took upon herself uh, for individuals. And if they, uh, if, um, if they uh, complied or they listened, then yes, you know, we were able to receive. But she worked very hard with them so that they could all uh, prepare a, uh, an application uh, uh, that was uh, you know, well done. Oh, thank you for that mm -hmm. uh, answer. It, did you guys prepare, and I know I guess uh, the reality is no, um, appeals process where people felt like they had a fair chance or they were saying, okay, well, maybe we didn't have a documentation, we didn't get an email, we didn't get a phone call, so we're given an opportunity to provide something to kind of appeal the negative outcome. Uh, do you feel that, you know, there was good agencies who probably would qualify if they, you know, had a document or appeals process? We, we do not have an appeals process. We simply uh, took it upon ourselves to make some recommendations as to what we thought uh, would be uh, the best applications. But I will tell you, City Council, there were a lot of good ones, and we'd love to be able to provide or to fund everyone. Unfortunately, you know, we had 1.1 million. We had an ask of almost 18 million, and obviously that was just not doable. But there were, there were no appeals. And again, uh, the people that, uh, that we did recommend um, Obviously, uh, we wish that we could give them more because in some cases we, we didn't give them everything they asked for, but we did give, give some. Excellent. When the coordinator calls and follows up, I've heard several negative responses as well where people are just saying, I'm giving up with the city, I'm not gonna apply or partner with them. Mm -hmm. And they do have great uh, programs and services that are impacting our city in a phenomenal way. Uh, do you have uh, some type of, um, I guess keeping track of uh, what the response is, saying, "Hey, we talked to you know the 40 organizations, and you know 30% uh, were discouraged, 40% said they'll never apply again." Do you have something so you're um, kind of gauging the temperature? Uh, because I know that when uh, Miss Daphne was here, she said everybody was positive, and I, I just haven't heard it from the constituents being an at-large member. Mm -hmm. uh, definitely, yes. Uh, whenever we hear a, uh, a concern, an issue of concern that's brought to us, yes, we, we're, uh, we're keeping track of that so that we can do better next time. Uh, obviously, we have a lot of ideas for should an opportunity ever arise again to do things a little differently, like, for example, the, the matrix to put that ahead of time so that people can see that that's something that we will, you know, uh, put together. Uh, 
things that things of that nature, the questions, you know. Would you, um, would you be able to report that back to us? Because we've only definitely. heard everyone's happy and positive. We've also re received several uh, agencies with the HRCS the same response, like, oh, we've never been able to get through, or we have gotten through, it's been, um, you know, quite a, a headache, it's not worth it, and, and then mm -hmm. no longer wanting to apply uh, to partner with the city to deliver services to our constituents that are in most need. Yes, yes, I'd be happy to, yes. Thank, Thank you. you. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And, and again, City Council, please, this was not an easy choice. I'm sure you'd, you'd be in the same boat as we were. We did our best to come up with a, with a good recommendation to everyone. Um, if we had enough money to give monies to everybody, I think that would be ideal. But again, um, I believe that we did our best given the uh, constraints that we had. And, uh, and again, those that uh, didn't qualify, we're hoping that they will apply again. And we are meeting with a few of them to make sure that if there are other uh, opportunities for them to uh, look at other entities and or other ways of getting some dollars, we are recommending and we are meeting with them. Well, I think every thank you so much for that. I think everybody is aware that we have limited dollars. Yes. I think the concern from the constituents is that the same groups who might not be providing effective outcomes continue mm -hmm. to be funded to produce those same outcomes that, quite frankly, are m mediocre. And so that's where I think people are getting frustrated and just in saying, I've been trying and trying, we're doing good work. And when it comes to the city, you know, whatever funding it is, whether it's ARPA or some type of human services or a neighborhood grant, we are not getting the support that we need to have the resources to continue the work and, and, and the work that's working. And so I think we know that, you know, there's 18 million, there's only 1.9. We know with HRCS and other funds, it's limited as well as with the neighborhood grants. But I think the reality is, if you're looking at matrix and rubrics, are you looking at how do you have, or maybe, you know, if we have 100%, we give 25% to new agencies or give them an opportunity. Another thing that I've been hearing um, that's been quite um, discouraging is that we are only supporting agencies that are already funded as well. So there's, I believe, uh, inclusive, um, diversity, equity, inclusion, talking about being inclusive, if an agency is grassroots, they're doing great work, their costs are down, and maybe they only have $20,000 a year, you, they're saying, well, they won't give us 20000 more or 30000 because we don't have 100000 to support a $5,000 grant. So you're leaving out some of the greatest groups that are doing the work that are most connected because they don't have a million dollars already in the bank account. And that's been something they're talking about, not saying, well, we only have $1.9 so we understand there's not enough to go around. The reality is, who is it going to? We understand, and that's something that we'll take a look at uh, next time. Unfortunately, we just simply evaluated them. Uh, we took a look, well, we used the matrix, and we based our evaluation on that. And uh, you know, we, we made our best selection, but uh, obviously that's, uh, that's something that, we, that I'll talk to, uh, to our staff and to the mayor and see if that's something we could do for next time. Okay, and is that something related? I know uh, ARPA dollars is one time, but like with Human Relations Community Services, are you all able to provide a report for maybe like the last 10 years to say these are the agencies for the last 10 years, 90% have been funded for all 10 years and we have 10% new agencies and here's the outcomes? I can check with uh, HRCS and see okay. if that report is available. And are we doing um, re related to the funding and the grants? Um, I've never seen where, let's say if we're giving it to agency A, B, and C, what is the actual outcome that they have achieved after we've given them the grant dollars? Is that available as well? I will check with HRCS. Thank I, you I so much because uh, uh, the groups, that's why they're getting discouraged. They're not seeing the outcomes, what the people are doing, mm -hmm. and we have challenges that continue to uh, increase in our community. I understand, Councilman. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you, Councilmember Brown. Councilmember Garza, or Vice President Garza. Thank you, Council President. Good evening, Jane. Good um, evening. 
Now, has all this money been allocated yet to the different nonprofits? We have, we've simply uh, informed them that they receive the dollars, and, uh, and now we're, meet, or we are, we're meeting with them so that uh, they can comply with the, the rest of the requests, such as setting up a contract so that they know when they're gonna be receiving these dollars. So it's not everyone yet. Not, okay. We have not distributed the monies. Not okay, so if, for, for instance, if, if one of these particular parties or multiple parties, um, for whatever reason, don't have all their ducks in a row, mm -hmm. in a row and the city decides to hold on to that money. Hypothetically speaking, would you guys put out another request, um, or application process, or would you take that money and distribute it through the ones that were already? That's approved? a that's a great question, Councilman. I I need to address that matter with the mayor, and I'll ask him how he wishes for me to proceed on that. Um, but uh, but we will not release any dollars unless they sit down with us and set up the contract and the procedure for requesting those funds because they will have to give us reports as well. This is required under, uh, under ARPA in which uh, an entity that we give monies to, depending on the project again, they will have to provide us with some specific reports. Thank you. Mm -hmm. But I will ask the, to see the mayor. I'll speak with the mayor and see what, uh, how he wishes to handle that. Councilmember Brown. Thank you. Um, in, in that same vein, I know in the past, um, working with our internal auditor, some of the contracts for grants and funding uh, were inconsistent or not um, in a standard um, template. When you're talking about the ARPA, ARPA um, funds uh, to council uh, vice president's uh, question, are the contracts going to be in standard fashion that everyone um, is meeting the same requirements across the board? Yes, uh, they, it, is a, it is one contract. It is the same for everyone. The only place that it could be different, it depends on what the funds are for. For example, uh, if it's just a capital item, their uh, reporting mechanism may be very quick. We just need to make sure that you know, they, they provide us with the proper receipts. If it's for a service or something like that, then they'll have to provide us with a monthly report or something like that to show us how those funds were spent. And they must be done in accordance with what uh, the contract stated. So they're all, they'll, they'll have a little difference depending on the, on the service that we're, that we're asking to do, but, uh, but they all the same. Is that something that you guys are looking at making, um, you know, with all transparency available on like the website when you have continued grants? Yes. Where people now can see the outcomes and the reports that are being provided? Definitely, definitely. And that's we can something do that. that, that you guys are working on? Yes. Oh, fantastic. Thank mm -hmm. you so much. Thank you. Okay, I think that does it. Do we have anything else? Seeing nothing, then I, we are. I, have, I do have a question, I'm sorry. Yes. I apologize, Councilman. Um, may I ask a question to um, Councilmember Hussein? I know you asked some other, other questions of me as well. I am prepared to answer those questions if you'd like. Are those related to public, or I'm sorry, public services? Yes, sir. Roads? Yes, please do. Yes, sir. I believe these are your I questions. I just want to just very quickly. Yes, I'll uh, be very, very quick. And, yeah, and then address the uh, Okay, so these were some of the questions that you asked, me, asked us to follow up uh, uh, regarding uh, well, various questions. I, I'd be happy to answer them. Um, the first question was, um, Councilwoman Spitzley asked, uh, asked our public service director to have someone engage in a site visit to Cooper to take a look at the concerns broached by uh, Stan Shuck on 1-9. And uh, he asked uh, for us to continue to uh, do a follow-up on this. What was the outcome? Further, uh, have we ensured that we are mandating that the final product is agreed upon the con for the contract for chip and, and uh, fog seals? is what the city got before closing out the contracts, and did we work with OCA to determine whether there were performance standards that weren't met? 
so the good, the response to that is uh, our public service director himself did visit uh, Cooper. He did see that there were more leaves in the gutter pan than, than gravel. Uh, this street, along with other streets uh, that were chip and fog sealed last year, uh, will be swept early in the spring so that we can prevent any remaining loose stones from moving into, into the storm sewers. We are changing uh, the contract language for this type of work so that future projects uh, don't have this, the same type of issue. There weren't any performance standards that weren't met, so the company is, is fine. Uh, but we have let the contractor know that we are not pleased with the final product uh, in several areas and we are waiting for the response as to see how they will address uh, these items. Uh, and in order to address this in the future, we will be working uh, with uh, our city attorney's office to make sure that that language is in the contract in the future. Uh, and just to answer some of the other questions, um, please know that the potholes on Sheldon uh, have been filled. Um, unfortunately, this will not take care of this road, say for a long-term basis. Uh, but again, uh, we are looking to see whether or not we could uh, implement a much longer-term fix uh, sometime this year. Uh, when uh, Ryan, I'm sorry, uh, Councilman Goss called him a few weeks ago, uh, he did put into a request into the Lansing Connect so that they could check to see if there were any other requests and based on his review, he did not find any. Okay, so that was that. Was that. And then uh, according to, uh, I, I believe that Council President asked a question regarding the installation of a bump sign and uh, we are looking at that, uh, Council President, and we'll be able to give you a better report shortly, but it is under review right now. In, in respect um, to the uh, company uh, that did the um, chip and seal uh, that we had, and because they didn't uh, meet um, the expectations of the department, are you going to allow them to bid again? That's a good question. Um, yep, it is. I will. I will go back and uh, and discuss this matter with our with our director and our city attorney, and see what what is permitted, what is allowed. Because according to the review, this was not a standard that was in the contract. So if we didn't ask, um, again, I, I don't know uh, what kind of uh, if we should if we should not allow them to uh, to bid next time if this wasn't in there already. Am I making sense? Does that yeah. make sense to you? Okay. Council, uh, Vice President Garza. Thank you, Council President. I just wanted to follow up on, I mm. just want to make sure I, I understood you correctly. Okay. Regarding how you said Director Kilpatrick uh, stopped out on Cooper Road mm -hmm. and noticed there was an abundance of leaves and less than, I think you said. Uh, yeah, he said there were more leaves in the gutter than, uh, than gravel. Okay, mm -hmm. so, so my understanding from that meeting, I think it was uh, one of our constituents, Stan Shuck, that got up here. Uh, he mentioned that Route 16, I believe, is what it was, not just Cooper Road. Okay. Uh, what you say? Yeah, Route 19. Route. Route okay. 19. Um, that that there's, uh, I think he believe, I believe he said he picked up like five gallons of of, uh, of uh, stone in mm -hmm. his in his uh, gutter pan. Now he also reached out to us and said that they still have not came by and swept that up. Did I understand you correctly that they won't be out there till spring? That's correct. But I'll, I'll also look, uh, do some follow-up also on, on Route 19 and see how, how bad that is. And if we can go earlier, uh, again, I'll speak with our uh, public service director. 
Yeah, and I'm, and I'm not sure what Route 19 is. I know he used to work for public services, so obviously he understands that, but mm -hmm. I can attest that Northrop and Washington, there is a huge amount of, of uh, stone that Northrop is getting kicked Washington. out, kicked over cars and into people's yards. Thank you, Councilman. I will look into this matter further. I'll discuss it with our public service director, and I know that if, if we can do this sooner, we will. Okay, uh, Councilmember Brown. Thank you, Councilperson. Uh, you, you made a comment about this contractor that we didn't have specifications about this and would they be able to uh, rebid based on uh, Councilwoman Wood's mm -hmm. uh, question. My question would be to you, if you have a professional organization that knows that this is gonna hinder if you don't go back over the road in a certain amount of time and they went way beyond the time, um, it seems like they're not going above and beyond to, to operate in excellence. So, uh, what is your thoughts or position <laughs> on that as far as regardless if it's in the contract, if it's not best practice or standard, it seems Understand, like that we were, you know, in some other city or project was, was um, mm -hmm. a priority versus no. what we you, you bring for. You bring up a good concern. You bring up a good issue. Obviously, when, whenever I work with a, with a contractor and uh, if there's something that I over you know, did not see or whatever and, and it happens later, and I work with this contractor and, and, uh, and they're able to address it, you know, promptly, even though it wasn't in the contract, then that's something that I do take into consideration. So. If it's, if this, uh, now this, please know that we are letting them know about this issue and we've not received a response. We've expressed our, our displeasure with this. So we've given that, we've, we've given up that information now. To date, we don't have a, a plan or a response for them. So again, it's up to the director to see how he's gonna handle this. But obviously, this is something that, that he may take into consideration since they, they didn't reply All right, well, to our concerns. Well, this is taxpayer dollars, and I understand it's up to the director, mm -hmm. but it should be in a strong standpoint, you know, stance from the, the beginning once we see this as a problem and people aren't responding, to, you know, to, so the people know that they're not left behind and this issue is serious and that as a city we care and we're being responsible for taxpayer dollars. I understand completely, sir. Uh, I know that uh, obviously performance is something that's important when we take a look at our contracts. And uh, again, uh, I will discuss this matter with our public service director and with our city attorney to make sure that uh, if, uh, if we go back and we ask them to, uh, to rebid, is this something that we can take into, consider into consideration? But, well, I'll work on that. Thank you. I know this is not a good answer that you're looking for, but we'll do our best to get this corrected. Thank you. Hey, Councilmember Garza, Vice President Garza. <laughs> I think I better be quiet. <laughs> yeah, so um, last question. Yes, sir. Us. Okay, so uh, do you have the name of the contractor? And if so, are they local? If they're not local, are good they at question. least from Michigan? That I don't know, but I will be able to provide that to you shortly. I can ask uh, real quickly. I don't have the name, uh, but I'm pretty sure they're local. And I, uh, again, but I will, I'll get that to you quickly. All right, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Your Honor. I was not prepared for that question. Okay, I think that does it. Uh, with that, we will stand adjourned until seven o'clock council meeting. We are adjourned. Thank you.